Isaiah chapter 6. Follow along as we read. And as you do, I want you to imagine for a moment that you yourself have been given a vision of the Lord. Put aside any notions of why that might happen and I, or might, might not. Put aside the thoughts of, yes, I'll see him one day in heaven. But I want you to think about what would it be like if you were to see the things that Isaiah saw, how would you respond? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraph, each with six wings, two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is filled with his glory and at the sound of their voices the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See. This has touched your lips, that your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, May we, in meeting you today here in this place, may we catch a glimpse of your glory. May we see just a bit of your holiness, Father of your splendor. You are exalted. God, our King, you are exalted on high. Help us to get that. Father, as we worship, may you draw us closer to you today. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I had the opportunity to talk with the pastor search committee of Kentuck Baptist Church a couple of years ago. We began having these conversations about coming and being a part of this fellowship. One of the things we, we tried to do was lay a lot of things out on the table and uh, just kind of 
put, put everything out there, clear the air, talk about my history, the church's history, my beliefs, the church's beliefs, what the church wanted to do moving forward, what, what I wanted to do moving forward. And, and just one of those many, 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 many things was I mentioned to them, I said, you know, listen, I, I just am um, one of those crazy people that kind of likes school a little. And, uh, and I, I've, you know, did my bachelor's and I did my master's and I went back and did some more at the master's level. And I said, one day I'm probably going to, you know, work on a doctorate as well. And is, is that okay? And, and is that cool with everybody? And, and they were fine with that. But as you may know, I have not started, I have not applied, I have not begun to really seriously do it yet. And one of the reasons is, is because as much as I love to learn and I love the teachers and the knowledge and, and, and all this stuff, I, I get reminded of the work. I get reminded of papers and tests and formats of, uh, of how you're supposed to do everything. And it just, and I got a big reminder of that a few years ago when Denise went back to school to work on her master's. Now, as you can probably imagine, her bachelor's degree was, was in the area of music and uh, vocal performance. No surprise to you at all. But her uh, master's degree was not in music at all. Uh, her master's is in reading literacy. And so, and she was at a school that had, I mean, uh, they took pride in working you to death. One of those kind of places, you've, some of you've been there. And, and so, and not only was she working as hard as everybody else, but most of them had a bachelor's degree in this subject. She did not. And so she was doing everything to kind of catch up on everything she missed, plus work on that. And I remember just seeing her, oh, <laughs> you know, just, wow, that's, I, I was just exhausted just watching and seeing her schedule. And, but <clears throat> everything paid off. And, and what was really cool about it when she got her master's degree, um, she incorporated some of her musical abilities into reading and, and really reading literacy. It's a super important subject, obviously. If you can't read so many things are, are limited, and, but she was able to take and add in some music stuff. And so along the way, she developed uh, a course, uh, a, 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 I don't even know what the right word for it, because I, I don't have a master's in education, okay? Not that kind, at least. But anyway, she developed this thing called uh, Spicy Hot Rhythm Reading, okay? Doesn't that sound interesting? Doesn't that title make you, I want to go to that? And so some folks kind of heard about that, and they said, we'd like to have you come to our teacher's conference. And so she and I got to drive up. We were down in Mississippi. We drove up to, to Raleigh, North Carolina, and, and, and she did this thing for a bunch of teachers who were at this conference, and, and they didn't have to go. They got to choose which session. A bunch of people came to that, and, and that was really cool, but she was actually more excited for the next uh, time because she had gotten invited to another one that was going to be like in Ohio, and she was really pumped about that because the key sp keynote speaker was a woman named uh, Lisa Numeroff. Did I say that? Laura, excuse me, close. I knew, I was like, get that feeling when you know you're vaguely off. Her name is Laura Numeroff, and Laura Numeroff is the person who wrote the book, 
If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. And some of you know that book. I don't think that was, it wasn't around when I was a kid, but by the time our kids came around, uh, they, they loved this book. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want some milk. And if you give him some milk, blah, 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 blah. And, and everything links to the past thing in, in that cool uh, little story. And uh, we were so excited to go to that. And she was going to get to meet the author of this book that, that she'd read to, to Marin and to other children. And, and uh, Laura got sick. And, and the whole conference got canceled. And I was like, oh, man, that, that, that was tough. But the, the, the thought about that imagination that children's authors and really any author use to, to help us imagine something, imagine the impossible, you know, imagine having this conversation and this relationship with this, with this mouth, mouse. And uh, that, that's just really cool. And um, I got to thinking this week as I was reading this passage in Isaiah that imagination that God has given us, one of the many different gifts is so awesome because not only does imagination allow us to grasp and think about the improbable or impossible, it also helps us to grasp the reality of this world that is sometimes so incredible that it's hard for us to really grasp. It's hard for us to really think about. So this morning, as we think through this passage in Isaiah, with due respect to Laura Numeroff, and if you give a mouse a cookie, today we're going to talk about if you give a guy a glimpse of God. And ladies, you can make it gal for yourselves, okay? So if you give a guy a glimpse of God, what happens? If you give a guy a glimpse of God, just the a, just a smallest, tiniest little bit of a vision of who he really is, then you're probably going to see that he's captivated. That he is taken wholly and completely by the vision in front of him. Isaiah was. Isaiah was. He, he, he couldn't think of anything else because there was this amazing vision in the temple was a throne, and, and by the way, the temple didn't have a throne other than the ark, which could have been kind of called the, the, the throne, the ark of the covenant. But, but here he envisions in the holiest of holies, instead of just there, there being that ark of the covenant, high and lifted up on many stairs, there's this throne. And he sees God, and, and, and it he just can't take in all of God. He talks about the train of his robe. You ever seen a wedding dress that had a train so long you thought, is it ever going to stop? Is it ever going to not keep going through? Maybe uh, thinking of different types of train you've sat at a track before and thought, is it ever going to go through? And you've waited and waited and waited. And it's kind of like this, and the imagery of the train of his robes is letting us know that Isaiah said, I saw all that I could see, but there was just more than I could take in. It just, God's glory, his holiness, his holiness just kind of went on and on and on. And, and, and there in this, this holiness, 
he, he sees these angelic beings, a specific type of angels that were, that were known as the seraphim. And, and each of these seraph, they had six wings. And two were to cover their feet and two were to cover their faces. And, and the other two kept them aloft. And, and these beings constantly were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that was over and over. And, and, and this impact was just astounding he was captivated by the beauty, by the glory, by the majesty of God. But if you give a guy a glimpse of God and he's captivated, pretty soon he's probably going to catch on to a really big contrast. Because he saw the glory of God. And then he saw himself. Reflected in the light and the splendor of God, he realized he is holy. And I am sinful. He is everything. <laughs> he is unlimited. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. And here I am. I am sinful. And this contrast begets a crisis. What am I going to do, he says? What am I going to... I, I, how in the world I can't be here. Have you ever walked into a place and you said, I can't be here? <clears throat> Maybe someone is there and, and that person, you just can't be around them. Maybe you feel like you're not dressed right. Maybe you feel like you're not welcome. Whatever the reason we've all felt that way before in Isaiah is feeling that to, to the, the thousandth degree Woe is me, he says. Woe is me. Or some of the translations say, I am doomed. <laughs> There's no way that this holy God and a sinner like me, we, we can't coexist in the same place. And he's torn into this crisis. And he begins to confess his sin as he's in this crisis, he, he admits the reason why he can't be here in the presence of God, why he can't even ponder it or imagine it. He said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, <laughs> my words. And we don't know whether he was talking about gutter language or lies or gossip or complaining, or blasphemy, or, or a mix of all those, and beyond that. But he knew that his mouth, the very thing that was supposed to honor God, because this, he was already a prophet of God. This isn't Isaiah chapter 1. This isn't the beginning of his ministry. This is Isaiah chapter 6, and he realizes, I'm supposed to be the God guy. I'm supposed to be the one that lives right and does right. And God uses my lips to bless others. And that very thing that God called me to use to exalt him, I have used poorly. I have sinned. And he is overwhelmed. And he said, I live among 
a people of unclean lips. In other words, I know better than anyone around me. Isaiah said, I tried to be what God wanted me to be, or I wanted to be at least, but I've ended up just the same as everybody around me. I've fallen in lockstep with culture and all the stuff that culture does that they say is okay to do and to say, I'm doing and saying all of it, just like them. So he confesses this all. And this confession leads to a cleansing. The picture we get in the Bible here is of this seraph, this magnificent angelic being, going to the altar that has that has been there, and, and it hasn't been specifically mentioned before, but it, that altar is there, and there are coals on the altar, and the, the seraph takes the tongs, and he grabs that coal, and he flies over, and he touches Isaiah's lips. And Isaiah has been cleansed. And we here are given the picture and the imagery of what God throughout his word tells us that we, when we forgive our sins, when we confess them, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it something? We, we know that cleansing can come about different ways. We often use a can of Lysol. But heat can do it. You don't have to have chemicals. You can boil some water and you can cleanse something. And here, the red hot coal is the imagery of God bringing his cleansing power. And the very thing that Isaiah realized was so corrupt and so far from the way God wanted him to be was the very thing God was going to cleanse and restore, and even, in fact, in spite of, or maybe even because of his past failure, but his sorrow over that, God was going to use those lips that had become wicked. He was purifying them because he had something more. And so when the cleansing comes, when you give somebody a cleansing, when God does this, following, you often see a calling. A calling to come closer. A calling to now enter into a deeper walk with God. Remember, this is, this is not about coming to God the, the first time. This is not even about the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. He's already been prophesying for years. But this is God giving a glimpse of himself to one of his servants, a man who, like all of us, was sinful, <laughs> who had strayed, who had not been all that he needed to be. And this was God saying, letting him see for himself who he was and yet having mercy upon him. And God said, hey, you know, there's, uh, we need a messenger. Up here in heaven, we need somebody down on earth 
who will take this vision of God's glory and will share it with a world who need this message to people who do not understand how far they are from God and how much he wants them to be close. And so that was that calling. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And and, and I love this picture. Because as far as I know, there weren't any other prophets. There weren't any other preachers. There weren't any other people. But yet, I feel like Isaiah was just as eager as that third grader who says, pick me. Pick me, teacher. I've got the answer. Pick me. I'll wipe the board. Pick me. I want to be on the team. He says, send me, God. Because he is so overwhelmed by not only God's glory and not only overwhelmed by his sin, but he's overwhelmed by God's graciousness as he has cleansed him of that sin. And now... Isaiah, in an act of worship, responds to the call of God with a commitment. God has asked, who will go for me? Who will share my name with those who don't know it? With those who are far from me? With those who, who they don't get it? Who will go? And Isaiah could have just stood there. Waiting, thinking nervously. Hope one of these seraphim's going to answer pretty quick. It's getting awkward here. But no. He said, Here I am. Send me. And when God gives a guy a glimpse of his glory, and all these things happen. And a commitment comes forward. He's probably going to be even more captivated by God than ever before. And that is the cycle. The good cycle. Because we hear of bad cycles, downward cycles all the time. But that is the upward cycle that God has called each of us to. And a lot of us will look at that story and say, that is awesome. That's really cool. Glad for Isaiah. Um, I haven't had one of those. You know, uh, one time I was sick and saw some crazy things, but I've never had a vision like that. That's what a lot of us are thinking or saying. But here's the thing. That vision only occurred to Isaiah once. We say, well, I never had a burning bush experience. Guess what? (laughs) The burning bush happened to one guy, to Moses. Well, I never had my Damascus road. Well, the Damascus road and the bright light, that happened to one guy one time, to Paul. And, And we take certain things we see about the way God works and some Things he did on exceptions, and we think, yes, if that little exceptional thing happened to me, then I'd really see God, and then I'd really serve him. But the reality is, that's not the way God usually works. 
The Bible tells us very clearly, if we're not seeing God, there's one of a handful of reasons, and they're really all on us. Okay? So go ahead and say that before I list them. First off, some of us simply don't want to see him at all. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul describes the way that mankind has turned against, has become willfully ignorant. We choose not to hear what God through his world tells us. You see, over and over, the Bible tells us um, that God, a beginning knowledge of him can be had by anyone. Scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God. Anybody who thinks at all, how did we get here? What happened? Oh, somebody must have made this place. And yet, many folks don't like a creator. And they don't like it, and it's not because of science or anything like that. They don't like it because the creator implies creator-creation relationship. It implies the Lord, the God the creator of this universe, has a right to say something to his creation because he made them, he designed them, he knows how they should work and live. And a lot of folks just say, no, I, I, I don't want the owner's manual. I don't believe in an owner. I don't believe in a designer. I'm just me. And that's the most extreme case. There's others that though acknowledge God and and. But they only want so much. And we talked about this last week. How much do you want of God? Because you have exactly as much of him as you really want. Because inevitably there are times in people's lives where they say, I like God. I want his salvation. I like these good things. The church is cool. But. And it's usually at a moment where following God begins to upset their comfort or begins to convict them of a particular sin that they've cherished and, and, and that they just don't want to let go of. And so we start saying enough. We're kind of like the Israelites back when Moses came off the mountain of God, receiving the commandments, spending time with God, and he comes down and the, the reflected glory of God, he didn't even realize, but it was shining through him. And the people said, too much. We, we don't even want to see that reflection. Could you, could you cover up, please? And they asked Moses to put on a veil to cover himself because they weren't comfortable seeing the glory of God reflected off of Moses. And the Apostle Paul later on said, that still happens today when people do not listen to the word. They are blinded because they don't want to hear. They've heard all they want to. And then many of us don't hear because we've made excuses. We've made exceptions. We've said, God, I want to hear from you, but I want you to speak in this way at this time, in this manner. And we, we put God in a box like he's something we can control or manage. 
And you can't manage God. You cannot control God because you and I cannot even completely conceive God. We, we, we barely get a conception of what he's all about. And so God will speak in your life the way he chooses to. And most of the time, it's not going to be something big and flashy. Those of us who've been studying the story as we were studying the prophet Elijah last week, we learned that, right? Remember Elijah, who God did all these amazing miracles, but, but God wanted to teach him and show him something. And, and there was a time he was out by himself all alone. And God said, I'm going to speak to you. And God started sending things along. Earthquake. Oh, that must be God. The Bible says, no, God wasn't in that. A great wind. No, that wasn't it. And all of these great things. And finally, a small, gentle voice was heard. And he was reminding Isaiah that God moves in many ways, and some of them are spectacular, and everybody sees them, and, and others are just the smallest things. Because Isaiah, because nobody else was out there being used by God to do all the things that God was doing through, through him. Excuse me, I'm saying Isaiah. We're, we're back in Elijah. Elijah, he was doing this amazing stuff. And he thought, but I'm the only one on God's side. And he got all depressed. And God said, no, I've reserved for myself. I think it was 5,000 was the number. But whatever the number was, he said, I've reserved that many who have not bowed down to Baal. They haven't kissed that idol. In other words, not everybody may see that big, flashy appearance of God. But we know we can see God when we pick up this word. And we begin to read about him. And we begin to know him. Because we're reading this not as a textbook for an exam, but we're reading it as a love letter from God to us, his people. And the Bible teaches that as we look into this word, we're transformed into his image. If you give a guy a glimpse of God, if you give a blank, put your name in, how would your life change? Because if you're not seeing God, and I don't mean here, I don't mean you're going to walk out today and see the 900 feet Jesus. But I mean, if you're not seeing the work of God in your life, why not? You don't want to? Are you too busy? Are you too comfortable? Do you really want to hear from him? Have you tried to put a, put a grip on what he's going to do and say, God, you can speak to me this way only. And all the while you're not hearing his word to you. Because if you really catch that glimpse, if you really begin to see God, you will be changed. Our Bible teaches and you will be transformed 
further and further into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord God, help us to see today that getting a vision of you, it's, it's not something that's limited to the prophets, to preachers. To the people that we or, or the, the world conceives of or thinks of as holy. But God, you offer a never-ending look into who you are. Lord, you reveal yourself in nature. Lord, you reveal yourself in your word. Father, you reveal yourself through your spirit that lives in each of those who believe in you. And so, Father, every single one of us, we have that opportunity as we seek you. God, we know, as we've already learned from your word, that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. So, God, as we seek you, as we draw close to you, the more we do, Father... The more you show us, the more you reveal, the more you invite us into your presence. And so God, my desire right now for myself and for everyone in this place is God that we would want all of you that we could get, that we would want to see you. And Lord, we would not let the fear of how hard it may be to see our own sin, how difficult it may be, how painful it may seem for you to work on us and change us. But God, we would rather look forward to your cleansing, to your forgiveness, and to your further calling on our life. As you call out today, who will go? I pray that the answer in each of our hearts would be send me. Bless this time of response we have, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be down front if you have a decision to make or just simply a uh, you need some prayer. The altar. Steps are always open if you want to come and kneel. Maybe you simply kneel where you are or bow your head, but it's always a time when we're confronted by God's word every time, whether it's in this place or somewhere else. Will I walk further with God or will I stop? Will I get closer or will I back off? And that is a question that each of us has to respond to. And we could fool everybody else in the world about that, but we can't fool God. He knows what our heart says.